Hello, and welcome to episode 7 of STEM Insights. My name is Tim Bradbury, and this time I'm joined by Catherine Witter and Joe Foster, and Tanya Shields and Sarah Longshaw. First up this month, we have part two of Joe Foster and Catherine Witter discussing the IRIS Research and Innovation Framework and how a team of 15-year-olds from a school in Scotland helped scientists develop a tracking process for penguins by looking for their poo. In our previous conversations, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that we've had, we've talked about the five-year strategy that you have. And part of that, I'm guessing really at the heart of that, is to encourage um, and support the transformative life-changing experiences for young people through the in-school projects. Now, you're really working hard to encourage more young people to go into STEM careers. So to help our community, it would be great for you to define what you mean by STEM and perhaps, Joe, what you mean by research and innovation. Yeah, um, yeah, brilliant question. And actually, one that doesn't get asked all that often, because everyone's like, oh, I, I, I better not ask everyone, you know, must know what STEM is. But actually, STEM and STEM careers is really wide ranging. And I would say much more wide ranging now than even 20 years ago. So something which strikes us a lot with our projects, and perhaps it struck you too, as I've described some of them, is how they are interdisciplinary. So very often, um, the the project so for example let's take um let's take one of our projects earth observation uh, in earth observation we give students access to uh, satellite imagery from the sentinel satellite and um it's it's quite high resolution images and there's a uh, an interface where students can manipulate the images to show up different things so for example we have a student uh, at a school in cornwall working on looking at pollution in the river thames by uh, looking at um algal bloom so all sorts of different things you can do with it. And actually, we've got data from all over the globe. In order to successfully do a project like that, you've got to uh, do a bit of computer science. You've got to do a bit. Well, hit this particular project, you know, a bit of biology, a bit of understanding of geography, a bit of understanding of like fluid dynamics, you know, all sorts of different disciplines come together. And I would say that STEM careers really often now are like that you know you it's not many many stem careers you don't just sort of stay in your lane you're not a pure biologist for your whole career of course there are um people who have very very specific areas of research but um often the the sorts of things where we say you know if you work for your life in stem you probably will use um so that stem stands for science technology engineering and maths um so my definition of STEM careers is extremely broad and incorporates not only careers for which you go to university, but also um, careers that you go through a more vocational route, such as apprenticeships. So lots of people listening will be aware, but some may not, that you can now get a degree through doing an apprenticeship. So for young people who are worried about, uh, for example, moving away from their home area for whatever reason, whether that's a personal reason or a you know caring reason or a financial reason, um, or people who are worried about incurring debt through university, you know, if you do a university level, a degree level apprenticeship, you can get your uh, your qualification and earn money at the same time. So an amazing opportunity there. We need an army of technicians uh, working on renewable technologies. Um, so those are really fabulous STEM careers. That I think a lot of young people might want to consider. Um, but the other thing that I think is important is to say, that you don't have to want to go into a STEM career for STEM skills to be useful. So the skills you learn through doing this sort of research project, they are so wide. Um, 
uh, teachers have told us that students are learning things like uh, problem solving, critical thinking, managing their own time. Um, uh, obviously, the motivation is great, you know, to understand where it might go. Um, I'm, I think the idea that STEM skills are just for people in STEM jobs is is wrong. I, I think STEM skills are for everybody. And of course, what we also want is a, a scientifically literate society to help make the decisions that we're going to need to make over the next few years. The second thing yeah. you asked is what's research and what's innovation? So for me, research is finding out new things. So often to find out new things, you have to do a bit of research about what we already know. That's important. The knowledge base is really critical. But for me, real research is finding out new things. So though lots of students love practical work and practical work helps to develop student skills, I would argue that often practical work doesn't. It's not research because students aren't finding out something new. Um, and that's where I would say, you know, research, finding out something new, solving a problem. Um, and it's not something that necessarily is already known. You know, we're really aware science proceeds at a glacial pace as tiny, tiny new things get found out. And we hope that some young people will find those out. And then innovation is is using what you found out to make a difference, to make a change, to make something happen. And um, if I may, I've got quite a nice example of that. So uh, this was such a great example and I it makes me happy every time I think of it uh, and not just because it involves penguins. Um, so we I mentioned earlier the Earth Observation Project and in that project um, we give young people access to satellite imagery and they can choose their own project. So we start off by training them how to use it and telling them the different things they can do with it and then essentially they can choose whatever they like. So we have a lot of students. So for example if it's uh, supported by a geography department or, um, or you know a cross-curricular project they might look at deforestation or they might look at pollution or they might look at, uh, I don't know, um, I can't remember the name for it, but uh, I want to say off wash, but that's not the right word. It's when, you know, um, soil gets uh, eroded away because of yep. um, land use changes. So loads of brilliant projects there. This particular group of students, so it's a group of year 10 students from a state school in Scotland, so Stirling High School. So just a normal school, not a selective school, um, a, a normal state comprehensive school. And they picked up this project and they discovered they basically were interested in in looking at uh, at the Antarctic and what they discovered was that you could they worked with their computer science teacher they coded using python a um a kind of little little piece of programming which allowed them to change the images so that what they showed uh, like they showed like particular wavelengths essentially of light bouncing back off the ice and what they managed to do was to highlight on the ice patches of penguin poo so <laughs> yeah i know i know don't worry stay with me catherine stay with me i'm so, with you they 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 managed to they highlighted patches of penguin poo so they were looking that what they could see was um these patches and what of course they show you is not only um so you, so penguins move about a lot of course but patches of poo where penguins kind of stop you can see not only where they've been but also there's like a trail like a comet trail of where they've come from as they shuffle gently along yeah. anyway essentially what the students did was they correlated the patches of poo they could see on the satellite images with known colonies of emperor penguins in that area and they discovered that there were three large patches with, you know, um, with trails and things like that, which were not associated with known colonies. And so they contacted the British Antarctic Survey, who independently then verified that 
these colonies did exist and were previously unknown. Um, and subsequently, ha the British Antarctic Survey have started to use that technology of the filter that the students developed over the um, uh, over the satellite images to help to locate colonies as they go forward. So for me, students did this piece of research. They came up with a piece of innovation, this different filter. And then and now that's being used by scientists. Um, and it was developed by 15 year olds in Scotland in a normal school. I think that is really exciting. It's unbelievable, actually. And to go back to sort of, you know, the question I asked you earlier about the impact it's had on teachers, you can imagine the buzz around that, you know, and, and the, the pride that the teachers will have had in that and the whole school that will have had in that. That that truly is amazing. That's how wonderful. And those young people, no doubt, will end up in STEM careers and no doubt will do absolutely fabulously, you know, when they're when they're following that path. That's yeah, so I, th I think what can be what can be really powerful about this work is that so often for a young person in school or in a you know, in a family where maybe they don't know any scientists or anyone who works in STEM or research, whatever, it can feel like a million miles away between where you are and being a person who does this sort of thing. But to see that actually all, you know, all young people can do this like if they're if they're particularly interested in something the gap is small um it's just the opportunity needs to be there so you know what we know is that young people from less well represented backgrounds they don't lack aspiration they don't lack aspiration at all what they lack is opportunity and that's what we want to give them yeah and going back to your convert you know what you were saying around stem earlier as well and you mentioned interdisciplinary approach mm. um you know that is something that i've had i've heard very recently in conversations with academics you know because in wanting those skills to come through when when students are, are going into university and, mm. and studying these stem careers as undergraduates that's what we want to work harder at um uh, and, and, and you know so that those skills are integrated before the students arrive. So, you know, that research project work it is definitely the way forward because you've seen it happen and you've described it. So the, the British government, you know, they, they also have a strategy, don't they, to, to establish the UK as a science su superpower. Mm. So what you're talking about and that are, are really fully aligned. And we know over time that there's been an increase in the number of young people studying some STEM subjects at university. But we remain a country with a, you know, a well-documented STEM skills gap. So would really like to focus the conversation with you now, Joe, on the STEM research and innovation framework that you published in April 22 at some point, I seem to remember. Mm. Um, you know, your written introduction to that framework document, uh, and, and I'll read it as you wrote it, it states that it supports teachers and school leaders in evaluating their school's wider STEM provision and critically highlights what actions can be taken to drive improvement, that it brings together recommendations around best practice and signpost the organisations which best provide um, the, which provide the best support and it contains self-assessment tools too to identify where your school is and where to go next. Now you know th there's a number of themes to the framework Joe and a number of pen portraits or descriptors that help school leaders identify where they are within that framework 
and, and our community you know people are listening can't see it in front of them so can you help them understand how that framework might be used how yeah. it looks and feels please yeah of course so so there's a bit of a theme emerging which is related to my experiences in school uh, and as a, as a school leader and as a teacher of science and my um my colleagues experiences so many of the people who work at my organisation are teachers um, and and we work with a lot of teachers as well so uh, this is very much driven by what we've what we've been told teachers would like or would appreciate or need in schools so essentially um, the research innovation framework is like a it's like a self-assessment document and a toolkit it's it's what I wish I'd had when I was still in school um, to support me to Firstly, um, well, I'll talk through the different sections, but I think one of the most important sections, maybe for the people listening, um, is the first section, which is about leadership, vision and culture. So this is the kind of the recognition that unless the leadership in the school feel as though STEM skills and um, research innovation are important, they are not going to support it. And we know that in schools it is really helpful and particularly important to make something sustainable that is supported by the senior team, the leadership team. Um, the, the first section is called Leadership, Vision and Culture, and it essentially outlines all the reasons why uh, research and innovation is supportive to your school and to your students in all the ways that you want it to be supportive. So, for example, we know that schools are already judged on things like how well they are meeting the Gatsby career benchmarks. Well, we talk about how this work supports the Gatsby career benchmarks using the research innovation framework and applying the things in it. Um, really help you to address those um, those benchmarks that you ought to be hitting as a school. Um, it also ties the work that you do around research innovation into your local jobs market, which is something which Ofsted would like to see. So what we've done is we've essentially written a kind of um, for a for a teacher who's keen on doing this in their school but needs to win over the subject leader, or for a subject leader who needs to win over the head teacher. It's like a you know like a crib sheet for this is why it's important. This is the evidence that says that this sort of work is supportive. So the different sections are that. So that section I just mentioned, leadership, vision and culture. Um, and then the other four sections in it are uh, research opportunities and the curriculums. This is how you can incorporate research into the work that you're doing and help your students to kind of um, enhance what they're learning. Careers in research innovation. This is about how to make best use of the brilliant organisations that are out there to support careers. So one of the things we talk about, of course, is STEM ambassadors, but not just that they're out there, but how to use them, how to be impactful with them, you know, how to tie that into your work. So um, that piece about careers in research innovation just kind of pulls together all of the different things that are available and helps you to helps to see how to move forward. There's one. There's a section about community and collaboration, how to make the best of your local skills market and employers. And then the last section, which is uh, our favourite, I think, is uh, capturing talent and removing barriers. That's where we talk about science capital, uh, what it is, how to um, help to build it in your young people, but critically how to make sure that people aren't excluded from the work that you're doing to develop research innovation in your school. Um, and then you asked to kind of describe it. So basically, it's like a a uh, really thin textbook, A4 sized. Um, it's probably about the size of uh, it's about the size of something like the uh, subject specification for biology A level, I'd say. <laughs> 
Um, okay. So it's not hugely heavy. It's fairly easy to fit in your bag. But what it basically has for each of those five sections is a table which says essentially there's a description of what these the area is about, why it's important. And then there's a table that says if you're just starting out here, this is what you might be doing. This is what it might look like. And then there's a, a section in the middle that says, you know, if you're you know building on this if this is something important to you this is what you might be doing and then there's the section for established like if you're doing this really well so for example this section I'm looking at now if there is a real culture of leadership and vision around research innovation then these are the things you might see and it says things like the school has a strong vision for STEM research and innovation um, guide practices and it's basically got lots of examples of the sorts of things that will happen so for a teacher or a school leader you can get hold of a copy of this for free from our website, which is researchinschools.org. And I think the most useful thing uh, that is also on our website there is a, um, a self-evaluation tool where essentially it's an electronic version of the framework where you go click, click, click on where you are now. And it produces a report for you, which you can use to say, OK, here are our areas of strength that we want to build on or here are our areas where we're weaker. Um, you know, we might want to put that in our development plan. Um, and of course, what's fab about it is that you can do you can do a self-evaluation at the start of the year and do one at the end of the year and you can see how you've moved on. So um, we want we hope that it's a really practical toolkit for schools. Um, and we're super excited because only this week, day before yesterday, we launched our pilot with um, nine state schools who are going to be trying this out um, with whole year groups. So really excited to see the impact of this work. Oh, well, you know, you 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 talked earlier about how important it was, you know, not to increase teacher workload, trying to, you know, anything around this framework and research and innovation projects, trying to sort of integrate with things that would already be being done. Yes. And you mentioned Ofsted there and, and all sorts yeah. of bits of other initiatives, school development plans, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, clearly using teacher voice to support the, you know the design of all of yeah, this absolutely to inform it is is you, you know you've so, certainly uh put a lot of thought into it and it sounds so, brilliant so what we really wanted to do and I, I don't know if this is your experience as well as head of as head of science um I did a I did a bit of a piece of research recently myself about the STEM education landscape and how it feels when you're in school and how many organizations are kind of keen to work with you and um I believe there are over 300 organizations so you know and actually organizations like mine you know charities and um so industry partners and various people who want to work with schools and as a school leader or a subject leader you're kind of bombarded with you know there are there is no lack of offers uh, for you know stem days or stem clubs or things you can pay for what's really difficult is is to be able to lift your head out of the day-to-day -day of having to deal with all of the stuff that goes on when you're in that position to be strategic about what you use so what we really hope and planned the framework to be is a way for um, school leaders and, uh, and middle leaders to make sense of all the noise and find the most impactful ways to use all of those fantastic supports that are out there so we have given examples and links to people we know can help the ones that other people have said this really works the whole of the framework is um has so we've used like uh it's evidence-based so where we know something that works so for example louise archer's work on science capital you know we've we've packed it with 
um, it's kind of like the gravy of uh, school improvement stuff. So you haven't got to spend loads of time filtering all out yourself. It's kind of pre-digested, easy to use, and hopefully will really help teachers and school leaders be strategic about getting this exciting culture where young people feel like they can discover new things alongside their teachers and uh, make a difference um, and along the way learning all those really important STEM skills uh, increasing their motivation and who knows finding out something amazing like how to find penguins in the Antarctic. <laughs> well do you know when you were talking then I was nodding away and there'll be a lot of teachers nodding you know when they listen to this conversation and you know lots of enthusiasm kicking around I mean I, I actually wish that I was back in the classroom to lead on some of this you know <laughs> you've you've certainly got me excited in this space so you know what is the next step I mean you've mentioned teachers going along to the website downloading the framework etc um, is there anything else that you could suggest that you know if, if teachers are now sitting there and thinking I want a piece of that I want mm. to make sure my students have that opportunity. Uh, what's the next step? Because, you know, if they've not engaged with Iris research projects before, you know, what are the easy things now yeah. that they need to do? So so um, that's a brilliant question uh, and uh, and a really important one. So there's a few potential next steps there. So the, the, the first one is so we we recognise the Iris projects that we do, the, uh, the the curated projects that we offer, they, there is a range of kind of how involved they are for young people. Um, so some of them are slightly more straightforward and some of them really are kind of A level and beyond. Um, and it it's might be the case that if your school has never, ever done any sort of research before, in fact, not just might be the case, like it's like I don't do running. If someone said to me, right, on Saturday, we're going to run a marathon. Not only would I fail at running the marathon, but also I'd never want to try and run a marathon again. You know, if you want to do real research in schools where your young people are discovering new things and getting all excited about it, you probably if you've never, ever done it before, there are loads of different options. So I would recommend things like the Crest Awards. There's loads of support for STEM clubs through um, STEM learning. Um, I mean, if you if you want to make it a thing that you like make it one of your targets for your own leadership, then I com completely recommend download the research innovation framework, have a look at it um, and decide. You do, There's five different sections you can think to yourself. I'm just going to do one this year. I just want to start looking at that. So first thing is, I would say, have a quick look at the framework um, and see what area you'd like to work on. The second is, um, you know, have a poke about in some of those resources. So there are course are links and suggestions. If what you want to do is to start doing some research to complement your curriculum, there are ideas of who to talk to, how to get to them um, and, and how to do that. Um, and then I guess the other thing is, if you like the sound of some of our projects, some of the IRIS projects, your school can join IRIS for free. So if it's a state school, it's completely completely free. Uh, you can join up and then we have regional engagement leads who will come and talk you through the projects and all of the resources are provided. And then at the end of the year, we have bursaries to support schools, um, students and teachers to come along to our conferences and present their work. So all of those things are next steps that you could take. Or if you don't even want to do that, you could just go have a look at the website, you know, look at our website, researchinschools.org. Um, and just see what you think. I'm always delighted to hear from anyone who's working in this field. Um, I know that there are lots of us and that's part of the reason we pull the framework together is try and to try and make it easier for schools. So if you're a teacher in a school listening and you're like, OK, it's OK, but it would be even better if then I'd love to hear from you because we're always looking to improve.
And thank you there to Catherine and Joe. And if you want to find out any more information on Iris, you can contact Joe on researchinschools.org. Next up, we have Tanya Shields and Sarah Longshaw giving an overview of the key takeaways from the recent science subject report from Ofsted. Right, so it's been a while, hasn't it, since finding the optimum, the um, Ofsted subject science report um, has been published. It must be, what, two months now? Yeah, a, lot, a lot's happened in that two months, hasn't it? I'm thinking about uh, Red Nose Day and Will Book Club for those schools getting get involved. So, yes, it's time certainly flies when you're having fun, Sarah. And British Science Week, Tanya. Of course, <laughs> of course. How could uh, I forget that? Well, I think not every school um, celebrates everything at the same time, do they? And where there is that flexibility, that's obviously up to them to work around their um, requirements and, and constraints. But one of the things I've found, the more I've read the report, and I've read it several times now, so feel I, I really understand some of the things that have been written there, is that there wasn't really anything radically new um, what came across to me um, was that actually so much of, and let's face it, it's actually the reporting of what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. There are lots of schools who are, you know, doing lots of really great things. And, and that's why I think I, I really like the report, because it mm -hmm. gives you that window into what's happening across the country. Um, and you're able then to sort of think about, you know, what are the features that we're yeah. doing? And also, you know, what might we be able to do better? So to me, it was just highlighting those areas where there's good teaching in the context yeah. of science and then exemplifying some of the things that were carried out. Yeah, and it's interesting you say um, there's nothing new in there. And I think sometimes we're always looking for that golden bullet. But actually, that the fact that there isn't anything new is really quite reassuring um, because it's building on that best practice and, and fine tuning what we've already developed. So for me, the fact that it wasn't new was was really quite comforting and I think makes improving science in the classroom more achievable for teachers, less overwhelming. Yeah, because what you've got to do, you've got to find out what works for your students, your pupils in your context. And I think that's, you know, that's the key, isn't it? And what was indicated throughout the report was lots of different examples of how things have been done. And, you know, what works in one place isn't necessarily going to work somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, for primary, I think sequencing was key. I think that's where I will be focusing my attention in terms of helping primary teachers understand how we sequence learning in the classroom, not just around the subject knowledge, but also around the practical science. And the practical science came through very strongly in this report. Absolutely agree. And and actually, when we step back and think about it, it's not surprising that the practical curricula are not as well sequenced because we've had COVID and that had a massive impact on um, being able to do practical work. Mm. And, you know, there's also a lot more, I think, to get your head around when you're thinking about, you know, the different skills. Um, and there's also what I found interesting was the transition and how important it is to understand what's gone before, mm. not just in your setting, but in, you know, in primary, if you're a secondary teacher. Yeah, I mean, there's also the think about what goes on before in different subjects. So in maths, for example, making sure that the children have the right knowledge um, and skills to be able to carry out the practical work that they're going to be doing in the science lessons. So lots, lots to think about there in terms of sequencing and teaching a well-structured lesson. 
Absolutely. And one of the advantages of the report coming out when it did, I think, for secondary teachers is that hopefully the summer term is when there is a little bit more flexibility, a little bit of time to work on on your curriculum. And so I wouldn't be surprised if practical, um, the practical curriculum and what schools are doing doesn't become the focus for um, schools development time this summer. A couple of other points really from the secondary perspective for me was the importance of technicians. It's so good to see them mm. getting the recognition yes, yeah. and not just for, you know, enabling practical work, but in supporting early career and, and non-specialist teachers. And then the other thing is um, the recognition of the varying curriculum models. So, you know, actually saying different schools will do mm. different things because that what that's what works for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, certainly with the technicians, that's something that we don't appreciate as much in primary. But having worked with technicians, I've recognised how valuable they are. So um, some really, really positive points in the report and really quite, I think teachers see, should see it as a, a reassuring um, report that's going to help them improve what they do in the classroom. Absolutely. And just, you know, from a secondary perspective, having taught in primary, I've absolutely no idea how you do practical work <laughs> without technicians. So all in all, a really helpful report, one that um, we wholeheartedly welcome and look forward, into, uh, look forward to developing uh, our approaches to helping teachers understand how they can implement those changes in the classroom. And thanks to Sarah and Tanya for that summary. And you can download a full copy of the report by searching Ofsted Science Review or from the announcements section of the STEM Community Notice Board. Hi everyone, it's Steve Castle here from the STEM Learning Comms team and I wanted to provide a quick update on our new primary and secondary magazines. So um, last autumn, myself and some colleagues spoke to teachers who were undergoing CPD here at the centre to find out exactly what you wanted and what you would find most useful from our magazines. So you told us you were looking for more resources, QR codes to uh, quickly access links and content, and also improved accessibility um, with pages easier to photocopy. So we've included all of the all of that feedback in these magazines. So we've got all sorts in there, basically. Everything that STEM learning can do for you to uh, improve your teaching practice. We've got a CPD leaflet in there as well, highlighting key courses here. We've got blogs, teacher well-being, ECTs, enrichment, um, teacher retention, senior leader blogs, and of course, uh, I've already mentioned the resources. So uh, they're landing with all schools in England at the end of March. There are also digital versions available via the drop-down menu on our website. So if you go to the toolbar at the top and click on primary or secondary, you will see the magazine header and you can flick through it digitally there. Keeping out for our social media posts as well, hashtag STEM Insights. Really, really keen to hear your feedback uh, on these magazines. So please respond to our social media posts or drop the team an email marketing at stem.org.uk. Uh, I really hope you enjoy reading them. As I say, all feedback is welcome and I'll speak to you soon. And finally, a few things to round off this month. Firstly, everyone loves a podcast. And why have one when you can have three? We have partnered with the Institute of Engineering and Technology and the Chartered College of Teaching to host Undercover Engineers and Evidence-Informed Teaching Podcasts. Simply head over to the STEM community and click Browse and Podcasts to find them. 
And finally, May's featured resources will be published on Friday the 7th of April, focusing on Star Wars Day, May the 4th be with you, National Numeracy Day on the 18th of May, World Turtle Day on the 23rd of May, and World Bee Day on the 20th of May. So that's all for this month. I hope you can join us next month for more STEM insights. You have been listening to STEM Insights, a podcast produced by STEM Learning for STEM educators across the United Kingdom. If you have any questions, you can ask them in the STEM community. Simply head over to community.stem.org.uk and join the discussions.